1: Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roll Pod, an Alabama sports podcast from Bama 247. I'm Cody Goodwin. Joining me today, fellow staff writer, Mike Rodak. Mike, how are your practice habits?
2: I I try to practice hard. You know, I I don't think you can just bring it on game day. You got to bring it throughout the week as well. So that's what we're doing right now, right? It's only Thursday. It's not a game day. The bright lights aren't on us, but we got to we got to bring it today.
1: We got a, Yeah, we've got to consistently uh, podcast to a high standard if we want to perform the way that we want to perform when game day arrives, right? Um, got a fun show for you guys today. We're going to talk about what we've seen from Alabama through the first couple of weeks, what it means, what possible changes we might be expecting moving forward, starting with Saturday's game against South Florida, set for 2.30 p.m. Central Time, 3.30 Eastern at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. But Mike, I wanted to start here. We've been navigating like, what, five days worth of sky is falling response after Alabama's 34-24 loss to Texas last Saturday. Um, Not my first time experiencing a reaction like this. I covered Iowa wrestling for a decade, and while on a much smaller scale, their fan base had the same reaction anytime they lost a duel or if one of their star wrestlers lost a big match or whatever the case may be. But you've been covering Alabama for a while now. You've seen some high highs and some low lows, at least by Alabama standards. How does this reaction and the corresponding conversations surrounding last Saturday's loss compare to similar reactions, situations, conversations after past Alabama losses?
2: Well, it feels like we just did it. Um, And that's, I think the most jarring thing is that I can remember walking out of um, Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge last November with Alabama having lost, you know, last second play in overtime to LSU. And um, we were kind of saying, you know, the – the stories about the dynasty being over are going to be written. And we were kind of saying, well, a couple weeks ago, they just lost to Tennessee. Um, and now we're talking about a loss to LSU. And now, you know, three games later, in terms of power five opponents, we're talking about another loss. Uh, so now it's three losses in their, their past seven games against good teams, you know, power five teams, which is, very different than, than how things were before. I mean, there, there obviously was scattered losses for, you know, a good portion of, of the Nick Saban tenure. Um, you know, the, the middle of it, you know, when they're making national championships games every year and you you know, might lose to Clemson as they did. And they lost to Clemson twice in a national championship, but that's a little bit different um, than taking a loss in, in September, or taking a loss in October, or, you know, a second loss in November. Like this is a different situation and I think, you know, warrants a little bit different reaction too. So I don't think you can just group every sky is falling sort of um, response under the same umbrella and say they're all illegitimate. You know, I think there probably was a time when, you know, Alabama loses a game, you know, the Iron Bowl in 2017. They lost that game. It was their first loss of the season. They probably helped them. I mean, they they didn't have to play the sec championship game and they still got into the playoff and and they still won a national championship that year so the sky might have been falling after that loss but at the end of the day that helped them i don't think there's a similar situation here i mean this is this is a much different case where you take a loss in september and you have eight sec games ahead of you and you just lost two sec games last year um so you know it, the the Kind of the the momentum, the this this level of confidence that was there four or five years ago, I don't think is there anymore that Alabama can go and run the table. Yeah. It's, I, possible, I think it's certainly possible, but like I'm not convinced of it.
1: Yeah. The margin for error was always small, I think, coming into the season. And then you lose in week two, like you mentioned before you even get to SEC play, that margin for error is like now non-existent, right? Like I think that's a line that we've all written in some capacity over the last week. Um, you know, especially with SEC play, I know they have a mostly favorable home schedule, but like, you still got to play Ole Miss, you still got to play AM, you still got to play Arkansas looks pretty good so far, LSU, Tennessee, you got to go to Auburn. Um, it's just not an easy schedule and, you know, people probably feel a little bit better about it if they find a way to beat Texas. I mean, I think they feel better about a lot of things if they find a way to beat Texas. I think we'll look mm-hmm. back on this season and view that Texas team as a pretty dang good team. Um, yeah, they're just, you know, I think people were kind of, you know, they they look at the quarterback position, they look at some other, you know, skill talent positions coming into this season. And it's like, okay, like a lot needs to go right or, or they need to see something early to maybe inspire confidence and just haven't seen it yet. And we'll get into that a little bit, um, you know, kind of the latter half of the show. But I, one thing I did want to kind of bring up was, uh, the SEC is struggling to start this year. It's not just Alabama. Um, Alabama's loss to Texas um, drops the SEC's record, or at least is part of the SEC's three and six record against other Power Five conferences so far this season through the first couple weeks. It's still early, but the three wins Tennessee beat Virginia, Mississippi State beat Arizona, and Auburn beat Cal. Um, that three and six mark does not count Ole Miss's win over Tulane in what was at the time a top 25 matchup, but the losses. Utah over Florida, North Carolina over South Carolina, Florida State just absolutely pounding LSU, Texas over Bama, Miami over Texas A&M and then Wake Forest over Vanderbilt. Why is the SEC struggling? I promise I'm going to bring this all the way back around, but I've been thinking about this for the last couple of days and been listening to some other shows and I kind of want to bring a few ideas together. Here's one theory. The talent available in college football is far more spread out across the board than it was, you know, 8 years ago. Here's one data point to support that two, four, seven sports team talent composite, right? They take all of the three, four, and five stars on a given roster and spits out a number to determine how good your team is compared to others. It's not a perfect science. It doesn't take into account like development overall, but it's generally a pretty good indicator into how good a team is in a given year. Like for example, the college football playoff era and the team talent composite era two, four, seven has been tracking this since 2015. So not every single year, the college football playoff, but, um, there have been four teams that have made the college football playoff that have been ranked outside the top 20 in the 247 team composite. Um, you know, TCU last year, Cincinnati the year before that, and then a couple of teams at the beginning, you know, 2014, 2015. Um, so like otherwise like if you're in the top 20, like generally speaking of the 247 team talent composite, you are you're a team that could in theory qualify for the college football playoff just based on what we've seen so far. So you look at this year's team talent composite compared to previous years and it kind of confirms that the talent available in college football is a little bit more spread out right so the difference in you know number 1 alabama has the number 1 team talent composite just based on recruits and stars and all that this year the difference between number 1 and number 5 is less than 100 points um, the difference between number 1 and number 10 is about 140 points the difference between number 1 and number 15 is about 170 points the difference between number 1 and number 25 is about 260 points 2015, the difference between number one and number five is about 90 points, so okay, it's about the same. Difference between number one and number 10, 150 points, so there's a little bit of a bigger gap. Difference between number one and number 15 is about 200 points, so a little bit more of a gap. Difference between number one and number 25 is closer to, it's about 290. So, There's a lot more talent on a lot more teams, and you can kind of see that from a maybe general perspective. If you look at the Pac-12, for example, who has come out guns blazing this season, there's a lot of quarterback talent in that league, right, compared to maybe the SEC. I know that there's some good quarterbacks. There's some unknown quarterbacks. um, But generally speaking, you look at the Pac-12, they've got a lot of talent on guys who are throwing the ball. So if there's more talent on more teams, what's the major difference? Here's the tie-in back to Alabama coaching right like in theory coaches are going to be able to maximize the talent that they have that's how they're able to you know rise up from group of five to power five programs um, from coordinators to head coaching positions Um, and I think there's a reasonable thought here that through two games Alabama's current coaching staff may be not as impressive thus far it's still early Um, Nick Saban called the matchup against Texas a test I think they failed that test across the board. Um, I know one thing that I wrote in our roundtable that you published this morning was just the play calling through the first couple of weeks has been a little suspect. Just not quite, I think, what we were expecting based on the conversations that we had through the preseason. Um, Thought we'd see a lot more um, dedication to the run. Thought we'd see a lot more dedication to tight ends. Um, haven't really seen that. It's been an even 50-50 split between run plays called and pass plays called. Um, tight ends have been a little bit involved because Amari Nyblack has been able to take a few of those targets and turn them into very big plays. They've relied a lot more on the deep ball than maybe some of the intermediate passing that play action kind of lends itself to. Um, they had success in the first game with some short passes. Um, didn't really see a ton of that against Texas when that could have been something that could have helped mitigate the pass rush a little bit. Haven't seen hardly any screen passes. I don't know if that's something Saban and Reese want to do, but I think that's another thing that could have mitigated the pass rush a little bit. Um, so far, I, I've not been incredibly impressed with what we've seen from the coaching staff so far. I think it's early and it's something that they can still correct, but it makes you wonder, what they're going to be able to do the rest of the season. That's my spiel. What are your thoughts?
2: I think, well, I think it's two separate things in terms of what Alabama's done and what the SEC in general has done. And a lot of these games are the same from last year because they're, uh, you know, home and home series or, you know, a double neutral site series like uh, Florida State and LSU. But, you know, Florida State beat LSU last year as a closer game, came down, you know, to that, I think it was the field goal or extra point, whatever it was. Um, and LSU was winning that game this year. It's just they fell apart in the second half. Um, you know, you had – last year you had Florida that beat Utah. That game was at home for Florida. This year they go on the road um, to Utah and they they get smoked. Um, if I'm getting I'm, – or am I mixing up games there? Did no, Florida, no, no. I think you got that Okay, right. I'm thinking. All right. I'm looking at last year's schedule. Florida had um,
1: Anthony Richardson last year. Um, right. Had Graham Mertz this year. No offense to Graham Mertz. Shout out to Kansas City. But
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And but it's a lot of the same game. I mean, one exception last year, like Georgia blew out Oregon, which was, you know, that was kind of Georgia just being Georgia last year. Oregon, you know, recovered from that to their credit. Um, you know, AM lost to Appalachian State last year. Uh, I for- forgot about that game, week two. Uh, obviously Alabama went into Texas and very well could have lost that game. I mean, that was a, a one point game. Um, and then you had, you know, Auburn beat San Jose state, LSU beat South- like it's Mississippi state beat Arizona. It's a lot of the same games. And in some cases, it's just, you played them on the road last year or you played them at home last year. Now you played them on the road. Um, yeah florida i think is a disappointment in general so i think that's dragging down the conference you know in billy napier's second year now with some of the resources they have at florida um you know obviously it was a disappointment for brian kelly to lose you know to to florida state uh but a m is kind of an a m they've been struggling um to get it going under jimbo so i mean it just depends i think it's it's program to program i don't know if there's necessarily a, a sweeping generalization that can be made um, but yeah I do think there is a dispersion of talent probably different than what Nick Saban envisioned with the transfer portal because I remember when it first started not the portal but when the you know the loosening of the rules started two years ago he essentially said Alabama doesn't lose you don't lose their best players to the portal which is true but they've lost good players and they've lost that second tier of guys that you know, would become starters a year later and instead become starters immediately somewhere else. And he's talked about that and that's hurt their roster a little bit. Um, and, you know, they, and some of the guys they brought in in the portal have been spotty as well. Um, so that's, it's, it's probably hasn't been a, an advantage for Alabama quite as much as we thought it was, you know, especially the first year when they had Jamison Williams and Henry Toe Toe, and they go to the national championship game. And those are, everybody saying, you know, we're just going to, pick up, you know, whatever the best players are on, on worst teams, Alabama is just going to get those and everything's going to be concentrated at the top. I don't think that's happened. Um, but you still have really good sec teams. I think you put Georgia and you play Florida state or you play Utah or you play, you know, Arizona or any of these non-conference games that the sec is playing this year. And I think Georgia would have won. Um, if Georgia had played that Oklahoma game this or this past week, like they were scheduled to originally, I think Georgia would have won. So I think it's just a matter of which teams are good in the conference, and that gets into the topic of Alabama and why Alabama's gotten worse um, objectively. And I think that you know plays into them losing to Texas and that record being dragged down. And you know I think all the things you mentioned about Alabama in terms of the coaching staff and the portal and all those are, are true. Um, but again, I think overall, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out in the playoff and bowl games for the sec, but I don't know if there's a, a problem, um, for the conference as a whole quite yet.
1: Yeah, no. And I just, I'm, you know, you notice that, you know, Alabama losing Texas again, I think we're going to look back in hindsight and that's, that's going to be a really, really good team. If that version of Texas shows up, um, you know, the rest of the season, I don't know that they lose a big 12 game, um, which means they're probably in the playoff. Right. So,
2: And just to butt in there, I think that is something that's changed in the sense that, like, you even hear players say, Texas is a good team. Like, they have good players. Like, they beat us. For a long time at Alabama, there was never a better team than Alabama. So, there might have been good teams elsewhere, but Alabama was always better and they had better players and they were the best. So, to hear things like that, and, you know, the same thing with the Georgia games, you know, the Georgia loss. Well, now you have Georgia. That's a better team. Now, potentially, Texas is a better team. If they played Florida State tomorrow, would Florida State beat Alabama? Maybe yes. And then you're saying, oh, well, Florida State's a good team. And then all of a sudden, there's a good team, good team, good team, good team. And then you have Alabama. And that's different. That's, that's markedly different than where things were. Um, and a sign to me that that things have changed. doesn't mean that they're Alabama's a bad team. But to have you kind of looking up at this stack of good, better, talented teams above you, that's, that's different.
1: Yeah. And I don't even know that like it's Alabama looking up at this other, you know, group of teams. It's just like the room that they're in with other good teams has gotten a little bit more crowded, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, I think you can play Alabama, Texas 10 times and it probably goes five, five, six, four somewhere. Right. Like just, I think you can chalk up Texas winning that game and Talti and I talked about this on the reaction pod, um, you know, Texas one Sark called a really great game plan. And two, you look at the premier positions, quarterback, pass rush receivers, Texas had the decisive advantage in all three of that. Now, if you could go up and down the roster, like linebacker, like Deontay Lawson, Jalen Ford, like probably a push, right? Um, You know, offensive line probably give the edge to Texas, but at the same time, like Sark was calling a lot of plays that really kind of mitigated what Alabama wanted to do pass rush wise. Um, you know, secondary, I, you know, I, I like to give the edge to Alabama just because of their history and what Saban does with those guys and just the talent there, Um, you know, and that's, you know, we can go all day about that, I, all the way down to special teams. Um, But that's kind of where, you know, I get back to, okay, like in that one game, because they don't play 10 times in that one game, um, I felt like Sark did a better job um calling plays than maybe Alabama and Tommy Reese did specifically. And and we'll, you know, touch on that about what we've seen from Alabama's offense so far. But um it does make me wonder like, okay, like, and and Saban talked about this last night. We're recording on Thursday morning. We talked to Saban on Wednesday, you know, um, trying to figure out that offensive identity. They're going to keep working. They're going to keep searching. He's had years in the past where they've You know, had to kind of figure some things out early in the year, even into the middle portion of the year before they finally figured out, Okay, this is what we're good at. Let's just spam that until, you know, somebody stops it. Um, You know, I think maybe, you know, they're way smarter at football than I am, but I just, you know, I look at the personnel that they have. I see what could potentially work. And just the fact that we haven't seen that yet is just a little confusing, right? You've got a bunch of quarterbacks that are mobile. You've got a decent collection of skill guys. You have a big offensive line. Like, find a way to make it work, right? Like, that's why you get paid millions of dollars to coach D1 football at Alabama. And just the fact that they haven't gotten it done yet. I don't know. It's just a a little confusing. And I know just the more I look back at the Texas game, maybe I'm one of those that just needs a South Florida game to get here ASAP. Because the more I keep looking back at it, the more it's just like, this is worrisome because that's a big game. They've got another big game coming up literally in week four um, that could tilt the season one way or the other. Um, So let's, you know, let's figure it out. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, the sample size is still small. You know, we're talking about two games, hundred plays or whatever on offense, you know, 120. Um, Like, yeah, again, you can look at it left, right up down for weeks, but and, you know, the self Florida game might be the same thing. It's like, we're just going to see more probably what we saw against middle Tennessee state. You know, how much does that change anybody's opinion of the offensive line or Milro or the running game or Reese or any of that? I don't know. I would personally be frustrated if we saw the exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's more room for things to go down and there is to go up with this game. And that's true for, you know, really any kind of uh, mismatched non-conference game that they play. I mean, it's, You win the game, it's like you did what you needed to do. You lose the game or you don't play well. And it's like, whoa, like what happened there? Um, So it's, you know, I would say trap game. It's not really a trap game, but it's – there's certainly room to fall even further in the eyes of people who are watching the team because, um, you know, they want to see something a lot cleaner than what they saw against Texas. But, yeah, it's – you know, it's – as far as like the play calling – yeah, it's one of those things you hear every year though. It's like Bill O'Brien. And then even going back to you know, not hear it a ton with Sark. There's a little bit. I mean, they, they were humming under Sark, but like Brian Dable, I remember people were complaining about the play calling it. There's always gonna be something, um, you know, some game where people are talking about that coming out of it. I I I think there's certainly a better play caller on the other side of the field with Texas. Um, but we've heard a lot of good things about Tommy Reese. Nick Saban's talked about him really favorably, um, you know, since the spring and, and through the fall. So we'll have to see it on the field, but it's, again, it's just, and it's, this is the way of college football with the 14 playoff. This is the last year of it. Things happen quickly. Like if, if you're losing a game in September, you really can't lose another game. Um, I mean, With that said, two years ago, I think if Alabama had lost the Iron Bowl, the one where they came back at the end and won in overtime, and then had gone and beaten Georgia the next week in the SEC championship, a lot of the analytics said they would have made the playoff as a two-loss team. That would have happened. I get it. But 99% of the time, I think as soon as you lose that second game, it's over. So you can talk about development, and it's a long season. We're going to come together. you got to win the Ole Miss game. That's a top-15 team, probably. You got to win Mississippi State easier. You got to win Arkansas easier. Got to go to A&M. That's still a, a tricky game. Like there's there's a lot of opportunities on the schedule to trip up and that's again why I would be relatively concerned right now with with what we've seen. Yeah, 100%.
1: Um, you know, and then just to kind of tie a bow on, you know, the kind of greater look here of, you know, what this means. I mean, we mentioned Texas, If that version of Texas that showed up against Alabama shows up against the rest of the year, I'm not sure they're losing a big 12 game. So, you know, lightly pencil in an undefeated team. We'll see. There's landmines. Um, Florida State has looked really, really good coming out of the ACC. So lightly pencil them in. Right. you know, we'll kind of see what happens with the Big Ten. I'm kind of curious to see how Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan sort themselves out. Um, the Pac-12, same idea. Like, is that a league that could potentially cannibalize itself out of the playoff? Um, the SEC, I think you start with Georgia and who's going to meet them in Atlanta. Um, you know, I know that they've they've got issues, so it's not like a, you know, put it in marker that they're going to come out of that division. But, um, you know, a lot, I think, needs to happen now for – Alabama, to, like, one, they got to run the table. Two, if they don't run the table, they need a lot of help if they want to potentially sneak into the playoff. Like, if we want to find a way to draw out that scenario, there's a lot that needs to happen for them
2: if they trip up again. So people hit the pattern, I get it. Yeah. And I was going to say, there's a lot that needed to happen last year, and it happened. And, like, that TCU loss to Kansas State in the um, in the Big 12 championship game was like, maybe they have a shot. Alabama sitting home with two losses and you're saying, and Saban's on TV saying, you know, we lost two games in the last play on the road. And that was as close as I think you can possibly get to being a two loss team, having those two losses come the way they did and having all these other dominoes fall your way the last weekend. And they still didn't get in. Um, because the committee's still gonna lean towards a conference championship or a conference champion there's still probably gonna be one in the pac 12 that has maybe one loss there might be one in the big 12 if it's not texas that has one loss maybe it will be texas and you could have a one loss ohio state or michigan depending on who loses that game between them and it, it, the math just usually doesn't work out and then in this case you talk about a 10 point home loss on your home field that's that's a little bit different than taking a last second loss on the road. And I think the committee is going to view that less favorably. And I don't think Alabama passed the eye test the way that they might have a little bit better last year. So I'll, I'll throw that out in terms of their, their chances to be a two loss team. Yeah. So a lot of ball left. We'll see what happens.
1: They could run the table. They could not. And we could be talking basketball in October. That'd be kind of weird, but
3: we'll see. Selling a little or a lot.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Um, looking ahead, um, or maybe I guess looking back to look ahead, a little slingshot action here um i've talked and written ad nauseum about the play calling just how confusing it is what have you seen or what's maybe your largest takeaway from alabama's offense through the first two weeks
2: i mean if you're going to be a running team you got to run the ball well and the fact that they haven't i think is the biggest concern that i would have even greater than the quarterback to be honest um because i think you can probably whether it's trying to coach it out of Jalen Milrow or trying to go with a different quarterback. If you want to eliminate the turnovers, I think you can. And those turnovers are certainly the two interceptions are certainly killer for them resulted in 10 points. That was a problem. Um, But I think you can tighten things up and and keep the offense kind of in a, a tight little packet enough where the quarterback can avoid those interceptions. But then if you do that, and this is kind of where we expect the things to be coming into the year, then you got to be able to run the ball and dominate along the line of scrimmage and beat teams up that way. And they just haven't. I mean, not even in the middle Tennessee game. I mean, that was alarming, I think, to a lot of people coming out of that game when they're saying, you know, we have these 360-pound linemen that everybody's been talking about, and you have Sunbelt defensive linemen out there. And there was not a level of domination in that game. Um, There weren't the penalties, but, you know, the running game, Jason McClellan had 39 yards and 10 carries in the first game. And then you go into the Texas game, and you're like, all right, you know, first drive, it seems like they're kind of getting it going again. You know, they have – They were great. Yeah, a couple bigger runs, and Miller has a couple nice runs and throws the pick. And then second drive, that was it. I mean, their running game was done the rest of the game. I mean, there was just no shot. Um, they're, you know, the average two yards to carry on their running back carries after the first three. So their final 17 carries, they had 34 yards, which you can't, if you're going to be that sort of offense, you can't play that way. You can have 34 yards rushing. If you have Bryce Young out there throwing for 350, like that's fine, but you, you don't have that and you're not going to have that this year. Um, so that's, that's the biggest issue to me. I mean, I I've been surprised with the ability for the, the deep passing game to connect uh, that's been better than kind of what I was expecting. I mean, those, those big plays, you know, down the left sideline to bond against Texas and even, you know, Milrow finding Malik Benson over the middle on, on third and long and, you know, the Nye Black um, integration into this offense, I think has been better than, than what we expected. And um, that, that's not their biggest problem. You know, the deep passing game, I think we expected to be a problem, but it hasn't been. It's the, it's the running game. And so maybe there's optimism in the sense that they're better equipped to fix the running game in that you have all this talent along the offensive line and all this size and you have some good talent at running back and you have a coordinator who's used to doing this at Notre Dame and, you know, maybe they can fix it. Um, But that's, that's two games in a row. And again, it's, it's a small sample size, but it's, it's one sixth of the season. Um, and after this game, it's going to be one quarter of the season that's gone. So, you know, things do move quickly. And at some point, you know, teams are going to start having enough film on you, too, that they're going to adjust. And, um, you know, they're going to know how to play you defensively. Yeah. I so more numbers, not a
1: ton of numbers, but more numbers here. I've got Alabama after adjusting for sacks. 68 rushing attempts for 363 yards this season. That's 5.3 a carry. It's pretty good. 18 of those rushes for 163 yards have come from the quarterbacks. So Jayla Milrow against Texas, 10 rushes for 78 yards. Milrow also had five for 64 against Middle Tennessee. And then Buckner and Simpson combined three times for 21 yards against Middle Tennessee. Um, So that means the running backs, 50 rushing attempts for 200 yards. That's four yards a pop. It's Not great. It's, It's not bad. I think the issue is that, like, it's been a 50-50 split in plate calls, right? You know, because another thing to, you know, account for when it comes to the quarterbacks is that of those 18 rushes for 163 yards, which is about nine yards of carry, Milrow has rushed, 10 of those rushes from Milrow have been on scrambles, like not, you know, drop like traditionally drop back passing situations, and he's just had to create something, which has turned out fine a couple of times, but that kind of goes back to the whole home runner strikeout offense that we saw against Texas. Um so like the running backs are are gaining yards. Like I think if you ask Saban, like, do you want four yards of play every time you run the ball? I think he'd say yes. I think he would want more, but I think he would take four. I I I just along your lines, like I like I want to see them just spam the run game, right? Like just do that. Commit to that for a drive. Commit to that for a series. Show that you can do it. Instill that confidence in your O line and your running backs that that's something that you can do, and. You know, lean into it. Like they're good at it. Like they've shown that they're good at it. Statistically speaking, they may not be blowing guys off the ball that they talked about doing in the preseason, but like the numbers show that through two games, like that is a strength. Like commit to that, make it 60-40 run calls and just wear the dudes down. Like don't rely on trying to do a deep ball. Mix the deep ball in. Like that's something I'd like to see. I like I, you know, and as we kind of look ahead to the South Florida game, like this could be a team that maybe this is the game where they spam that 70-30 and just run the ball just to get the guys familiar with how that feels doing it over and over again.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, and, and they've run, you know, if you want to go to the quarterback runs, the design quarterback runs, the option game, that's kind of how they use Milro when he first got here. Um, it, as a freshman in 2021, he saw kind of limited time here and there, and it was almost pure option runs. And they've, you know, they tried to grow him beyond that because I think they know it. Everybody knows he can't run an option offense and win an SEC championship and, you know, win a national championship or any of that. So it was imperative that they kind of stepped outside of that box. And I, I still think Nick Saban's very hesitant to kind of get into an offense where you're, you're running a lot of design stuff with the quarterback. Um, it's just, it, it's tough. Um, and, you know, you're obviously asking for injuries and, and stuff like that. And, yeah, you know, it's it's not something he's really done really ever since maybe the beginning of Jalen Hurts's tenure. Uh, I don't know that that even needs to be the focal point of the offense. But like, I think <laughs> elements of
1: that could help the quarterback, whether it's, you know, getting them more comfortable. It's going to put the defense in certain binds because, do you, I mean, like, you know, let's say they do a read option to the outside. Do you take Milro or do you take Jason McClellan? Like you got to make a decision there and the other guy's ideally going to capitalize as long as they execute. Right. I think there are elements of that that they can implement. And there were elements of that that Tommy Reese implemented at Notre Dame when, I mean, Tyler Buckner only started three games out there, but you know, that was an element that worked for them in that offense.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking right now at as a team. This includes the quarterbacks, it includes sacks and everything. They're averaging 4.16 yards of rush, which is somewhere around. I would have to look at the exact number. Somewhere around 80th or 90th in the nation, which is not good. Um and, I mean you have teams you have a whole slew of teams that are over five yards and you know the best teams are over six the teams and it, and it's tough early in the season too because you have such wide disparities in, in who everybody's played um but i mean it 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 needs to get a whole lot better than four point one six for four point one one two years ago um and that was you know a little bit of an issue they were at five as a that's a really good offense in, in 2020 with Najee Harris. Um, and that was that was right up there. Um, you know, some of the better teams. So it there's been a drop off. Um, I think in in the guy I think people want to see is Justice Haynes. And he I think it was twenty-nine yards on four carries, something like that against um, middle Tennessee. I'd have to check the, the stats, but it was a good average that he had. Yeah. Um in his in his first game it was kind of late in the game. You heard all these great things about him in the spring and in fall camp had a little bit of an injury in fall camp then didn't get any carries against texas and that's one guy i think we might see a little bit more you know it's like at what point if you're going to play a freshman in downs you're going to play a freshman in proctor like what's holding back a freshman in in haynes i think there's probably a little bit of pass protection stuff where they they want you know rely on some of the older guys um you know to do blitz pick up a running back but Haynes is your most talented running back i would say i think i've seen enough of mccollin and, and roydell williams and a little bit of jamarion miller where it's they're good but like you stack them up against some of the other running backs i've seen in alabama i, I don't know where they rank um certainly below naji harris obviously below derrick henry like brian robinson might be a better comparison for what they're getting out, out of those guys so you know, why not try a little bit more Justice Haynes and see if he can get a spark? Because that's been an issue, Um, you know, the running back production so far.
1: Yeah, and it could be, you know, a couple of thoughts to go off that before we move to the next topic. Um, Could be a thing where they're just, they're still easing him in, right? He was he was a guy that was dealing with a couple of small injuries through fall camp. Um, He's also true freshman. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that you want to, you know, mess with his mentals i suppose against a team like texas that is you know that's that's a hard hitting team and really tough to run against um the other thought too is like you know everything went according to plan at least the way that we saw it against middle tennessee i know that there were probably a few drives that they wanted back but like you know when the game plan goes accordingly you're able to kind of do more things and get more guys involved just as Hayden's was able to get you know most of his carries came in the second half right um, you know, and then the you know the other thing too is that you, you know so when the game plan doesn't go according to plan against Texas, right? It just kind of lends into the theory that they don't have their identity yet. I don't want to say they panicked, but like, okay, like we ran the ball really well on the first drive. Now we're not going back to it. You know, like it's just kind of I don't know, like it just really odd play calling and just offensive identity issues there in that Texas game. But then the other thing too is you know, and maybe this could. Again, like, you know, looking ahead to the South Florida game, like this could be a game where maybe Haynes gets some carries again, just to kind of see how he does. He's in a little bit. He's also a guy that Saban has said that as the season goes, as long as he continues to progress, that his role will expand. So does that start here? Does that start, you know, does that continue against Ole Miss, right? We're under the presumption that I, that, you know, Alabama is probably gonna win this game running away. Um, I don't know. One thing to potentially keep an eye on, right? Um, On the flip side, what's the largest takeaway from the defense from for you for the first two weeks?
2: Uh, I mean, obviously there's two big things. is the pass rush struggles against A&M when you have Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, and I think everybody was expecting more out of that. And then, B, you have the biggest issue, I think, all offseason that whenever anybody asks me about the, the defense, I'd say the secondary – and I always would bring up the Texas game. And I said, you know, you have a lot of the same players in Texas that you had last year. And that Texas offense was showing a lot early in that game. And then, I mean, it actually held up decently well in the first part of this Texas game this year. And then, it, you know, it seemed like Ewers really figured that out, um, you know, by the end and they had the two touchdown drives and then they had that drive that, that, that ate away the clock. So the secondary – you, know, you can chalk some of it up to injuries and you know Malachi Moore and Jalen Key probably weren't 100%. You know, the practice issues or whatever during the week in terms of not having everybody there. Um, But like I, I'm sitting here on September 14th. It's like, do I think this is going to be a great secondary by the end of the year? I'm like, yeah, I think Caleb Downs will continue to grow. We got picked on a little bit in that game. I think Kool-Aid is Kool-Aid. You can rely on him to be one of the best corners in the nation um, you know they they came after Trey Amos and Amos is a guy I think is going to play a big role one way or the other um, and you know they're in terms of the other safety spot I don't know you know do you put Devontae Smith back in there if he gets healthy do you keep Jalen Key you know do you try Christian Story at some point Do you put Malachi Moore back there? Do you put Terry and Arnold in the slot? I mean, there's different things they can do. I don't think they will change anything. Um, But yeah, the secondary just, and this has been an ongoing thing. I mean, they got ripped to pieces against Tennessee last year. Um, They had some struggles against LSU, the NM game two years ago. Like there's been a a string of games where whether it's penalties or big plays to give up or miscommunications or, or all different things, it's, There's always something Um, and there's, it's a lot of the same guys too. So it's, I don't know if it's fixable, you know, in the secondary in terms of what they have and can they turn into the shutdown secondary? I don't know. Um, But I think they can get better than what they were against Texas. And that's kind of what I'm watching. I,
1: I'm not sure that the personnel in the secondary is the problem. I think the one thing that really stuck out against Texas is that, there was a lack of adjustment after Sark figured out how to properly attack the defense, right? Like he spent a lot of that game trying to do a lot of different stuff. They were doing kind of the bubble screen thing. They were trying to run the ball a little bit. They were trying to, you know, they, they were doing some good stuff in, you know, the red zone and, you know, they dropped a few passes. Alabama was pretty fortunate that, you know, it was, the score was what it was going into the fourth quarter. Right. I, you know, I think you can make that argument, but in the fourth quarter, when Sark finally figured out, OK, these are the matchups I want. This is the pre-snap that I'm going to do to figure out how to confuse the secondary a little bit and really kind of force these guys to make a decision. Um, and then that allowed Ewers to then react based on the decision that was made. And a couple of the decisions that were made was, you know, I don't want to put the blame on Caleb Downs, but like a lot of the times. Pre snap kind of drew up the matchups that forced Caleb Downs to make a decision. And the decision was either to step down and cover the receiver over the middle or stay back and take away the deep play every time he stepped down. And that opened up the deep play to Mitchell. That opened up the deep play to Worthy. That opened up, you know, a lot of that stuff, you know. And he was able to, Sark was able to kind of create matchups there too with his tight end, Jatavion Sanders, because, you know, four catches for 130 yards or something like that. Like he had a lot of big, catch and run receptions, right? And again, matchups, like he was able you know, play action, we're going to leak the running back out. The linebacker is going to make a decision. Do you stay with the tight end who leaked out late or do you run and get the running back? Every time they went and got the running back, so when Sanders caught the ball, there was nobody within five yards of him, right? So that's not so much the secondary. I, I What worries me it was the lack of adjustment from the secondary to like, you know, quote unquote, learn from their mistakes, kind of. And part of that could be, Caleb Downs kind of learning but I mean the other part is like you know that he's not the only safety out there right and you know when you kind of see what's coming like what's the check pre-snap so that you guys can kind of stay back and take away that big play or take away that D play or try to limit the damage so to speak right because you know Texas is probably going to do what they're going to do the lack of adjustment from the secondary which was the same thing against Tennessee last year like Tennessee beat them over and over again with that pre-motion snap into a stack alignment and it confused the secondary, and there was just no fix. And so it was kind of the same thing in that fourth quarter when Texas erupted over the course of like six plays for 14 points, and it went from 16-13 Bama to 27-16 Texas. Like that was effectively the nail in the coffin. I know the game wasn't over-over by then, but like the lack of adjustments from the secondary to me, and that tracks right back up to the head coach, Nick Saban Um, because that's his baby. That's what worries me going forward. That's one thing I want to see. Like, you know, secondary is a really tough position to play. Can you make adjustments after giving up a big play or when you see that the offense is trying to create certain matchups? Can you adjust to limit the damage or stop the damage altogether? I I think that might be a tall ask in itself, but can you limit the damage and adjust to what the offense is trying to do? That's what I want to see from them, because we haven't seen that in these bigger games, and that's super worrisome.
2: Yeah, and it's uh, it's a tough defense for those guys to play. A Tough, um, you know, the pattern matching and and Saban will say it's it's hard to play defensive back there. And they have a lot of talent. Like a lot of five star corners will commit to Alabama. And you know, that's-, yeah, that's why I don't think personnel is the problem. I just I again this kind of tracks back to
1: coaching. But like I want to see them adjust when offensive coordinators figure out how to attack those guys. You know, they
2: adjusted to figure out their matchups. Can you adjust to take those away? Well, I I think maybe talent's not the problem, but I think they need to find the right personnel that, you know, from a neck-up standpoint can in that moment can do what they need to do. And sometimes we've seen Saban kind of lean on players that might be a little bit less talented back there, but they know what to do. Um, And then some of the more talented players who might not know what to do are sitting on the bench. Like, that's – and. Sometimes a transfer. There's been a been. There's been a lot of turnover at corner, uh, in particular uh, through the portal, and a lot of talented players have left. Um, and you just you don't really know. Like when you scout high school players playing a particular system in high school, how that's going to translate to lining them up in Alabama's defense and against SEC offenses, against Sark's offense. Like you don't know until they're here, until they're doing it. So that that's the tricky adjustment I think for a lot of guys and some guys do it really well some guys don't um, and you know I I don't think you're benching Caleb Downs but you know it's it, Saban's made changes in the secondary in the past they, you know a couple of years ago Daniel Wright getting benched for DeMarco Helms, and he's kind of moved around Malachi Moore and Brian Branch a little bit he's moved around corners last year you know Terry and Arnold and Eli Ricks and Kyrie Jackson and He's if he if he doesn't see something he likes he's he's going to make a change. So I I don't think we're going to see that this game. But from a bigger picture standpoint, it's I, I would leave it on the
1: table. Yeah, um, you mentioned the pass rush. That was kind of my larger takeaway from the defense over the first couple weeks. Just the fact that it's really been non-existent. Right through two games, nineteen pressures, three sacks. Um, they only had seven pressures and no sacks against Texas. I know part of that was Sark drawing up plays to get the ball out of Ewers' hands early um, you know, navigating some play action. They were, you know, double and doubling and chipping Dallas Turner quite a bit. Um, you know, but that's just, you got to produce a little bit more of that, especially when the defense is predicated on putting pressure on the opposing quarterback. Like if you cannot do that, that's a problem. So, um, which leads into, again, we've kind of hinted at it, the South Florida game, not going to spend too much time on it, but it has all the makings of a get right game. Um, I know one of of the many things that we're going to be paying attention to on Saturday, Mike and I are both going to be down in Tampa. Um, You know, want to see the pass rush kind of get itself together. Want to see the run game get itself together. But obviously the big story there is the quarterbacks. Um, We are of the belief that if Milrow has not lost the job, he's on fairly thin ice. Um, As kind of the last thing we'll get to today, Mike, how do you see the quarterbacks being used? Or how do you feel like that position will be played? Um, against South Florida on Saturday,
2: yeah, I, I I would be surprised if a firm decision's been made yet on Thursday here. Um, but within the next twenty four hours or so, I think it's something that yeah, we might hear coming out way, one way or the other. Um, and yeah, i I think at this point, you know we've had how many months of Jalen Miller in Alabama? I mean, it's been two and a half years, like at some point, Like you've seen, you don't need to keep seeing Jalen Miller. You kind of know what you have there. I think the reps and the development, yeah, sure. It can help, but you paid money for Tyler Buckner. Like you went out into the portal and you got him. Um, That's it's free agency. That's how that works. Like you might as well try to get some return on that and at least see what you invested in. Um, And, you know, other than the one drive and a live gaming it's middle Tennessee. We haven't seen any Tyler Buckner yet. So this is a chance to do it. I mean, there's leeway there's, there's slack in this game where if you put Tyler Buckner out there and things don't go well, I don't think you're necessarily in danger of losing to South Florida. You can probably pull that game out somehow. Um, so it's it offers some ability to experiment. And that's not to say, like, Tyler Buckner is – you're just throwing him out there and seeing like, ah, like let's see what we have here, and we don't think he's been very good in practice. I think from everything we've heard and seen, like it seems like Tyler Buckner has gotten better uh, from where he was – you know, the first couple weeks of August when I think he was still kind of behind the eight ball in terms of getting into this system. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's earned. Like, I think the opportunity would be earned. It, again, it, whether he starts the game or not, I think we're going to see Tyler Buckner in Tampa. It's just a matter of do you play Milro a couple series? Do you kind of do a little, little bit of a switch? Like, do you play one and then the other to get some early game reps? Do you start Buckner and not play Milro? Do you play Ty Simpson at any point? Like I think this is a game where Nick Saban knows the importance of the quarterback position and you might as well see what you have. Cause after this outside of the Chattanooga game in November, I mean, you're going to be potentially fighting and scraping and clawing in a lot of these sec games and you need to have your best quarterback on the field. Yeah. I
1: think, uh, you know, the, I think the argument before the season was that with Jalen Milrow, you just weren't exactly sure what you've seen. Um, you know, you you weren't 100% sure what you had in him, I suppose, best way to phrase it. Um, I don't know that after two games, you know 110% what you have or what he ultimately could be, but he cost you a big game, a big game that I f- feel like Alabama could have won um, without the turnovers and a couple other things. Um, you know, this I this could be the transition game. Like, this could be the game where, you know, and I think I wrote in our roundtable that, like, I think Milrow's probably going to start. I think there's a chance here that Buckner not only plays, but gets the vast majority of the snaps, especially if he plays in a way that Saban likes, right? Because he said it on Wednesday night. It's a matter of execution. It's a matter of taking care of the ball. It's a matter of just playing good football. And he needs to see what he has in these other guys, um, especially with Ole Miss lingering in week four. Like they got to get it figured out. And I don't know if they'll figure it out in this game, but they might take another step toward hopefully figuring out at least what they have, if not figuring it out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I don't say it's an easy game, but I mean, South Florida is a pretty bad team the last couple of years and one and 11 last season, four and 29 over the
1: last three years. Like this is Alabama struggles in this game. They are significantly
2: bigger issues. Yeah. There's, there would be some stories written after that. That's for sure. Uh, But I don't think that's going to happen. I think this is still a comfortable win and, um yeah, I I think maybe there's mild interest in the fact that Alex Golish, who was at Tennessee last year, is running this offense. Uh, but it's a whole lot different doing it without Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt and some of those guys that had last year at Tennessee, to say the yeah, least. Absolutely.
1: Um, fun show this morning. I appreciate you tagging along here, Mike. Um yeah. we will, like I said, Mike and I are both gonna be in Tampa for this game. Um So we'll be back. Uh, We could be back Saturday night. We could be back. um, We could record it Saturday and post it Sunday. We'll kind of play that by ear um, with a 2.30 Central, 3.30 Eastern kick on Saturday. So we'll be back probably to recap that game. Um, In the meantime... Uh, Be sure to rate and review this show wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, even our Bama 247 YouTube page. We appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Also, make sure to subscribe to Bama 247 and 247 Sports. Guys, you can get a subscription for a dollar a month to start and then just $10 a month thereafter for the best coverage of your favorite team. Take advantage of that, especially if you're an Alabama fan. Um, But that's all we've got today. We'll catch you guys down in Florida. Mike, thanks so much for joining. And thank you, everybody else, for listening. We will talk again soon.